Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. Well, Sean, as we're beginning a new season here on Hope Renewed, I really think the topic we've landed on uh, is an important place to start. Uh, we've, we're finding it that it's one of the most, uh, I don't know, insidious and demoralizing and life-draining issues that are faced by pastors. And it's that of shame. Uh, shame attacks our sense of worth. It weakens our vitality. It's a mortal enemy, particularly to those who are in ministry. So addressing it feels like a real high priority. Absolutely. And uh, I think we've got one of uh, one of my favorite guests uh, today, Mike Gore, he is a, a good friend of mine. Uh, I think we met at a small church big deal conference. Uh, we, we had Chris Vetterelli on last year, and now we've got another fruit of that, that conference on with us this year. Um, Mike and I bonded over our love for the Chicago Cubs, so he is a man of great faith. Uh, and, uh, and he's a pastor. Mike uh, pastors Mercy Road Church in Redford, Michigan, uh, where he lives with his wife and uh, his adult kids who uh, are, remain at home, and he's got some that, that have moved away yet. So, uh, Mike, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, welcome to Hope Renewed. Well, hey, I want to start out by saying the one of the coolest things that's happened, and that's in the past week, is I became a grandpa for the first time, awesome. and uh, so I need to give a shout out to little Brooksy, who uh, entered this world last Saturday, and uh, so my wife, Jill, and I are super excited, and uh, our friends who are already grandparents have told us that we have just entered into the coolest chapter of our lives, Amen. so we're looking forward to all of that. So yeah, so this was actually kind of a big year for me. I turned 50. I finished a doctorate of ministry degree at Western Seminary uh, here in Holland, Michigan, and I became Papa G. So all, all good stuff has happened this year for me. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Mike, how did how did you uh, get into ministry, and uh, what led you to to Mercy Road Church? You know, as people may have guessed, being a Cubs fan, I did grow up in the Chicago area, and um, just a little bit of kind of like my my background that kind of helps. Um, tell the story of how I got launched into ministry. Uh, I was brought to church uh, by a couple of friends of mine uh, who brought me to their Awana program when I was eight years old. And it was through Awana that I heard the gospel. And uh, I thought it was the best news I had ever heard that Jesus loved me so much that he died on the cross for my sins. And so that was the beginning uh, of me walking with Jesus. And then as a high schooler is where it really solidified. And, um, you know, I was maybe the typical high school kid who may have looked very confident on the outside, but in, inside was very insecure and longing for acceptance. And um, I went to a Christian camp one summer and the way that the people at that camp modeled the unconditional love of God, uh, I just knew it was all that my soul had been thirsting for. And so that kind of from my junior year of high school on, my desire was I wanted to let like 
I wanted to be a youth pastor so I could help other insecure high school kids like me come to discover uh, the love that, that I'd found. And so um, was a youth pastor indeed for six years in the middle of Kansas uh, in McPherson. And uh, what they say about McPherson is there ain't no fear in McPherson, you know, because I, I tried to pronounce it McPherson and they quickly corrected me. It's McPherson. There ain't no fear in McPherson. So um, after six years of youth ministry there, did a couple of years working on my MDiv at Bethel in St. Paul, and then landed at a church in suburban Detroit to do youth ministry for another six years. And it was that church uh, that kind of sent me uh, to church plant. And what was kind of cool about that was um, that church was an EPC church, Evangelical Presbyterian. But the network that I was being coached in for church planting was Converge, uh, you know, formerly known as the Baptist General Conference. And so the Presbyterians and the Baptists worked together to launch a converged church. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, how about it? How about it? And so, um, you know, I just think that that's a great example of um, being kingdom minded, not, mm. not uh, you know, just uh, local church minded or our denomination minded, but it's the kingdom that matters. And so I love it that, uh, you know, a couple of um, different denominations worked together to, to birth a church. And so um, launched a Mercy Road in suburban Detroit and Redford in uh, 2010. And um, praise the Lord, we're still trying to shine a light for Jesus here. We, we say at Mercy Road that we exist to lead people back into the arms of God and to serve the poor and oppressed in Jesus' name. And so that's, we try to stick to those two big things. Mm. That's really cool. Mike, you mentioned earlier that you just finished your Doctor of Ministry degree at Western Seminary. What was that experience like, and how has it shaped your ministry? It was good, and, and part, of, um, part of going into Western was a recognition that all was not well with my soul. Mm. And so what, what drew me to this program was uh, it was a cohort with an emphasis on soul care uh, and spiritual formation for mission. And uh, I, I liked the uh, kind of emphasis on both inner work that leads to outer mission focus. And so um, what was very big and, and was helpful early on was a sense of community and family that this cohort was to one another. So just an example, um, when one of the first assignments we had to do was something called an autobiography of loss, uh, in which we had to describe a time in our ministry in which either we've, uh, you know, been a failure um, or uh, hmm. someone maybe betrayed us or just something, um, some sense of loss uh, or difficulty that we had endured in ministry. And so uh, when we met for our, co our cohort for the first time, the um, our leader of that ministry was Chuck DeGroat, a uh, professor, um, just wrote uh, When Narcissism Comes to Church. And uh, Chuck split us up into triads, and we had to read our autobiography of loss to each other. Wow. And so early on, yeah, you're just kind of being exposed right away mm -hmm. uh, as you tell your story to a couple of other folks there. And but what was beautiful about that was there was a real sense of, hey, we're going to be really real with each other. Uh, we're not going to pretend. And we're going to just kind of love each other right where we're at and journey towards Jesus together. And so um, I think that sense of being 
loved right where you were, right where you were, um, was the part that was most helpful to me, especially um, because I was wrestling with all sorts of shame and feeling like I didn't measure up as a church planter or pastor. And so it was uh, that sense of family that the co- that I experienced at that cohort was a big deal to me. And it just sounds like the the context was so important to allow those things that God was stirring in your heart to kind of raise to the top. Um, because still, this is this is a doctoral program, okay? It's it's got a focus. It's got, you're you're working towards something, but to have that be um, uh, much more genuine because it's bubbled up. So, how is it that um, you did your your doctoral work on the pastoral experience of shame? Um, what what led you to choose that topic? My own misery as a pastor. Um, you know, um, ministry in a lot of ways can, um, it brings out the best in you. It can bring out the worst in you. And uh, what, what I found as a church planter is that uh, there's, there's plenty of opportunity for shame to attack a person um, if all things don't go well uh, as a church plant. And if things don't grow the way you had envisioned them growing, uh, when you kind of take this big leap of faith, because you know, just about every church planter I know um, plants a church with the hope of reaching that community for Jesus and, and often uh, in significant big ways. And, and then when that doesn't necessarily transpire or go the way that you thought it would, um, you can really question yourself and say, well, maybe I'm not a great leader after all, or maybe I'm good at starting things, but I need to pass the baton off to somebody else to let them grow it from here. And so there was, um, there was an elder meeting, I remember, where I was being pretty honest and vulnerable. And I just uh, shared, I said, you know, um, I just would like to be a happy pastor again. And it, and, and part of me just making that statement was just giving voice to um, just a bit of the sadness that was in my soul at that time. And, and it wasn't, it was, you know, maybe that was 2013, 2014, three or four years into the church plant. And, um, and then, you know, I didn't enter the, the doctorate of ministry program until about 2018 or so 2019. And so there was a time of kind of seeking and trying to discern what, um, what do I do with the fact that I feel like it's not all well with my soul? You know, Mike, uh, just that experience of the church not growing the way that I wanted it to or expected it to, I think, uh, is something that pastors all over the place. It's not just church planters. It's not even just small church pastors. I know pastors in big churches who said that um, it, it's either never enough, there are never enough people coming to the Lord, uh, or they're, they're driven by some internal sense of shame and looking for their self-worth in this idea of more people. Um, and I, I think it's just great that you're willing to, to you know, kind of call that out a little bit and say, hey, there's something mm-hmm. wrong with my soul here. I need to figure it out. Yeah. Some of the um, church plant books that were popular and that you, you read at the time of going into church planting, you know, there was a, a book um, called, you know, uh, planting fast growing churches. And, and that uh, is defined as a church that gets to the 200 mark by the end of year three. 
And um, whether, you know, whether our network, you know, pushed that or not, um, you know, I don't know that that was explicitly said, but certainly um, you pick up on the idea like, well, that's the goal then. And if you want to be a fast growing church and therefore a success, then you want to get to 200 by the end of year three. And that was a clear goal that I would say out loud to my core team. And this is what we're trying to do. We want to get to 200. And um, the fact was that there were Sundays and and certainly we had more than 200 um, on certain holidays and things like that. But our regular average attendance um, at its peak was around 155. And then we started to shrink Mm. and that really um, that's when shame can really attack when all of a sudden uh, your church is getting smaller and uh, you begin to question uh, maybe uh, maybe I'm not good at this after all. Mm. It it really sounds uh, like there's a a direct correlation uh, between um, I'll call them unrealistic expectations expectations mm. and and the propensity toward shame or the the, the possibility of, of shame depending on your perspective and and uh, where you fall in that um in I, i'm just really curious in your research did you find other connections that that shame was connected to other things or attached to other things uh, in pastoral ministry yeah that's a good question um in my research um i did an auto ethnographic project which means I was the subject of my research. I studied me and my own uh, ministry experience and uh, kind of, so I had to be a bit reflective about myself. Um, And so I think for me, there were other um, ways in which shame could attack me. And so certainly ministry expectations um, and what the typical definition of success, um, uh, which, you know, crassly it's, you know, they talk about how many butts in the seats, how many bucks in the offering plate, and maybe mm-hmm. have you built a building yet? You know, those three Bs. And, um, and so that standard of success is, was one way. And then um, along with that, though, uh, even just comparison is a way in which shame could attack me. So there's, this, you know, the ministry expectations for sure, but then you could just compare yourself or compare your church to another church, other church planters that started about the same time I did. How big are they now? How, you know, how much have they grown? Oh, what are, what significant ministry are they doing? Um, But even comparing yourself to just other pastors and, and even, you know, my own um, brother in arms, my associate pastor, Josh, um, I could find myself comparing myself to him uh, because we're both we're wired very differently. Uh, I am much more an inspirational leader type, and Josh is uh, much more of an organizational leader. Now, I think he has grown in his inspirational leadership as well. I mean, he's just he's super in so many ways, and that is an asset to have uh, on my team. Right, it's such a great partner who I'm just know I could kind of delegate something to him and know it's going to be done well. That's just such a huge a blessing. Um, but the, then shame can attack me and be like, well, you know, Josh uh, is better at some things than I am. And um, so I'll just tell you one example of this, because 
even though I've, um, you know, worked through this, uh, I still struggle with it. And Josh and I, we've talked about these kinds of things openly. He's read my project and he knows <laughs> of these types of wrestling matches that, um, that I can struggle internally. So a few weeks ago, um, Josh uh, preached uh, at Mercy Road and did a super job preaching on um, how success is defined by Jesus versus how it's typically defined in our culture. And um, it was out, he just did an outstanding job. And there are people that um, basically said that was the best sermon I ever heard in my life. It was epic. Uh, if I never hear another sermon again, I know what it means to follow Jesus now. And so, you know, shame can then attack me and be like, when has anyone ever said that you yeah. preach the best sermon that they ever heard in their lives? You know, and so, and, and the beautiful thing, how I've grown is that I know what shame is trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I can feel it and I can get sad about it, but I'm much more self-aware and much more able to be shame resilient. And so what I, you know, what I can do then is I tell my, my friends, uh, Larry and Rob, and I said, I said, so here's here's how I'm struggling with shame more recently. And I told them the exact same story. This was even just last night in their living room. Um, we were talking about life and some other things, and then um, I shared a little bit about that as well. And um, that's a helpful thing when you can verbalize how shame is attacking you and how you're feeling, and let that be known. That is the beginning of not being controlled by shame. Mm-hmm. It almost disempowers shame, doesn't it, to to speak it out? For sure, it does. For sure, and and it's the, I you know, Brene Brown talks about it's the only path out. There's mm-hmm. not another way. It is vulnerability or bust. You know, mm-hmm. it's either you come out of hiding and you say, "Hey, this is what I'm dealing with, and um, this is how I'm feeling," and um, and in finding safe people to be honest with, uh, that's where healing can begin. That's where a sense of belonging and acceptance that we all long for, where that person can say, ah, I understand. And you're still loved, you know, Mm, that's a big deal. It almost sounds like the gospel. (laughs) Amen. Right on. It's so true though. I mean, you, you can be vulnerable with the wrong people and just have them respond in in a way that just heaps more shame on top of you and it it can create it like a death spiral but if you find the right people and you mentioned robin and larry who we know well um who uh, uh can receive what you're saying with empathy and say oh man that must have been awful or i've been there i know exactly what you're feeling uh when you have somebody who can respond like that uh it, it's so freeing um, and so in, in some ways, you, shame isn't something you can just deal with on your own, is it? No, great, great point. Um, yeah. And, and the, part of what shame tries to do, it tries to get us to stay hidden, tries to isolate us. Um, and the only way to deal with it is in community. It's coming out of hiding. It's letting yourself, um, you know, it's feeling exposed before the eyes of another person mm-hmm. um, and then finding uh, in that person 
acceptance, understanding, and, um, and then you feel connected and belong, uh, and, and a sense of belonging, and uh, it's what we've all really longed for. It's almost counterintuitive, isn't it, that the, the way out of shame is exposing yourself potentially to the very thing that's dragging you down. And yet, as you say, Sean, to find those grace-filled people, um, the grace-filled concepts, the grace-filled um, things that you can feed your soul with um, to, to bring you to that place. I just, I just wonder, you know, pastors, um, uh, friends of mine, friends of yours that, that get caught in, in this um, either a shame trap or a shame, shame cycle. Thank you. Yes. It's <laughs> just kind of the, the whirlpool that, that drags you down. You know, how do we recognize when shame's at work in a pastor's life? I think um, if that pastor is uh, feeling alone and feeling disconnected both from God and others, I think that's a telltale sign. Because uh, we can look back at Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve hiding from God. Um, feeling like God has, you know, um, they don't want to look at God. They don't want to be seen by God. And uh, what, what God does is his first uh, words are, where are you? And it's a relational question. Why don't you come out of hiding? Why don't you meet with me? And um, so I, I think if a pastor is feeling isolated and wants to both hide from God or hide from others and has something on his heart, but is just afraid how that is going to be received if he's honest about how he's feeling or what he's thinking or what he's experiencing. I think that's a telltale sign uh, that that pastor may indeed be trapped by shame. I have to say, Mike, I had one of those life moments in, in reading through uh, your work when you're talking about Genesis 3 and the question um, God asks, where are you? And seeing that question more as an invitation than an accusation, that it's almost as though God is saying to me, Tom, look, look at yourself. Where are you? Mm -hmm. And embracing it that way, as opposed to, you know, where are you? Right. <laughs> and, and even having that perspective uh, or learning to have that perspective is shame defeating. Um, yeah. to, to just hear God's voice as it's truly coming to us, not in the, the ways that we've been taught or, or perceive or so focused on ourselves that, that we think it's coming to us. Yeah, I think one of the um, burdens I lived with um, and, you know, to some extent still wrestle with all of this stuff, I'm still in process. Mm -hmm but feeling um, like I didn't measure up to God's standards. And uh, I had a powerful experience at a men's retreat, um, probably around 2015 or so, in which I had a God moment where uh, there was a bit of kind of a role play where a person who was kind of uh, being a Jesus figure in my life was standing before me um, and holding what I thought was a shepherd's staff. And um, as, you know, I was kind of being guided through this experience, the question came to me, you know, Mike, do you know what this is? And I assumed it was a staff. And um, the person said, no, it's a measuring stick. And at that point, uh, the person who was kind of 
enacting the role of Jesus through uh, the measuring stick away. And uh, the words were, you don't have to worry about measuring up with me anymore. And I lost it. I broke down in tears <laughs> and, uh, you know, hugged this Jesus figure. And, uh, and even, you know, I think I remember saying out loud, I just want to be loved. And, um, and I wept in this person's arms. And um, I think I had felt like no matter how hard I tried as a pastor, no matter what I did to try to grow my church as a church planter, I just still didn't measure up. And uh, perhaps I felt like in some ways that that was a disappointment to God or a disappointment to Jesus. And mm. uh, all I know is uh, I came back from that retreat, um, a different person. Uh, I think I was prior to that retreat, my uh, teenage kids would refer to me as mad dad. Uh, because I, I just, when you feel like you don't measure up, you're just angry. You're just angry. Brene Brown talks about how uh, men and women, you know, experience shame differently. And what she says about men is that by and large, her research showed that men either get pissed off or shut down. Mm -hmm. And I probably was more of the pissed off variety, I guess. Um, And uh, at that retreat, kind of going in there with a lot of heaviness, um, Jesus met me and um, I came back and my, my kids had a different dad at that point to the point where one of them said, well, what happened to you? (laughs) And uh, it was an experience of God's love Mm -hmm. and it was, you know, difference making. And it was part of the process of me becoming free from shame. You know, I wish so much that, uh, my freedom from shame would be like a microwave. It would just be, you know, pop me in for 30 seconds, get that doctorate degree on shame, and you are healed. But um, much like uh, the rest of our holiness, it is much more like a crock pot and less like a microwave. And so I'm going to be constantly growing in my shame resilience. Um, and there's lessons that I've learned in the past that I'm, I know I'm going to have to relearn. Um, but praise the Lord that. Our God is a patient God. The Hope Renewed Podcast is brought to you by PIR Ministries. At PIR Ministries, we partner with God in the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration. Pastors, our goal is to help you cultivate new hope for healthy life and ministry. We do this by building relationships. We train both pastors and churches to promote a culture of ministry health. If you've experienced a forced termination from ministry, we provide a process of restoration for you and your family. We also have proven resources and tools to assist you in the challenges of ministry life. To contact us or to learn more about PIR Ministries, visit PIRministries.org. So Mike, let's, let's, let's just talk to those pastors out there. Um, who are hearing you and maybe recognizing I'm in shame right now. You know, their, their internal monologue is one of you are not good enough. Uh, uh, and it's a constant thing. And they may be hearing criticism from the outside. You're not good enough. Um, what would you say to those pastors right at that, that moment when they're beginning to realize I'm stuck in shame? Yeah, great. And I think one of the things that 
and I know we talked about it briefly, but I want to just define shame again as uh, that kind of painful feeling uh, that there's something wrong with us. This belief that we have about ourselves that there's something wrong with us, we're flawed. Um, and because we're so flawed, because we don't measure up, because we're not enough, we are therefore unworthy of acceptance, we're unworthy of belonging, and therefore we stay alone. And so um, thinking about a pastor who's struggling with that feeling of not measuring up um, and feeling alone, uh, I would say um, find someone that um, is a safe person that you can just be brutally honest with and just tell them exactly how you've been feeling, what you've been thinking, and um, hopefully they're going to receive you like my friends Larry and Robin received me um, and, and be able to um, hear you because that's the first step is just being honest about where you're currently at. What, what did the Lord ask Adam and Eve? Where are you? So part of this is just, why don't you answer that question? Here's where I'm at. Here's the inner narrative that runs through my head. Um, here's what's, here's how I'm feeling on Mondays after a Sunday of ministry. And if you can find a person that you can trust your story with, I think that would be a great first step. Um, and then from there, um, you know, I've seen a counselor at least three, maybe four different times in my life, um, working through my own anger issues, um, wanting to talk through shame a bit more. So there is um, great help. Uh, often it's, again, we, we hope that, hey, I'm going to see a counselor and I'm going to be instantly better. But what I find is that seeing a counselor for me has been those things that helped to take me maybe one, two, or three degrees closer to where I need to be. It's just another positive move in the right direction. Um, so those are some things that I've done. And then do some reading about shame. Help, you know, find, um, you know, I would recommend Kurt Thompson's The Soul of Shame. Mm. Um, I also think the audiobook by Brene Brown called Men and Women and Worthiness. Uh, is worth the you know two-hour listen that it is to help understand how shame can be at work um, in our lives. So those are a few things that come to mind uh, as potential uh, next steps for pastors struggling with shame. Mm. Yeah. Hey Mike, can I can I drill down on on your first find a safe person? What are some of the characteristics of a safe person? Yeah, that's great. Um, I think um, for me, and and again maybe there needs to be small, um, small steps of vulnerability. Mm. Maybe, maybe you begin with being a little bit honest and vulnerable and see how that's received by a person. Uh, I did have uh, some experiences where I was open and honest with somebody about how I was feeling. And they looked at me like I had grown a second head in the process of telling my story. They mm. did not understand, said, I've never, thought or felt like that ever in my life. And I just said, well, okay. So, so here's the good news. That type of event is survivable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you are vulnerable and that person was not necessarily the best person to be vulnerable with, I can tell you from my own experience, you will survive that. And it is worth the risk of finding mm -hmm. someone who can be that trusted um, listening ear and voice back to you 
um, reminding you what is true because um, shame lies to us. Shame lies to us. And in fact, Kurt Thompson in The Solar Shame said that he believes that shame is the primary weapon that Satan uses against the children of God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, not, and it's, just, it's just such a universal experience. So I just would want you to know, Pastor, um, you're not alone in feeling this way. And you're not even, uh, you, it's not even just pastors dealing with this stuff. You're every person in the pew is wrestling with this stuff. And um, some are just not ready to admit it yet. Yeah, that's so good, Mike. You know, I, that was my own experience too. I needed to find another pastor who, who could understand the unique ways that a pastor feels shame uh, and could just tell me, that's normal. <laughs> what you're experiencing is, is common. Uh, so don't worry about it. And here's how we work our way out of it. And I, I think one of the great things about working with the guys at PIRs, we're all acquainted with shame in one way or another. <laughs> and, and that gives us the background to be able to help somebody yeah. out. Yeah. Amen. And I think, you know, in my, in my journey of, of dealing with shame, uh, one of the watershed moments was, uh, and, and you gave such a great definition of shame, of, of distinguishing between guilt and shame and that yeah. Jesus has died for both my guilt and my shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just embracing that um, because it does drive us back to the core issue, which is where is my identity? Mm-hmm. Right on. Uh, and right on. and you, you wrote a little bit about that. Can you say more about, about that? Yeah, you bet. Well, one of the, one of the good things about guilt is that when you've done something wrong, there's actually something that you can do about it to make reparations or fix that. You know, like if you've wronged somebody, you can make that right um, by, you know, taking action. Shame says um, there's something wrong with you and, and you have no hope of fixing it. <laughs> mm. You can't be better. So shame lies to you and tells you, and it gets you stuck. Um, he has Gershon Kaufman in his book on shame, the power of caring, where he calls shame an impotence making um, uh, thing in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so, so impotence making in the sense that I am powerless to change my circumstances. I'm powerless to change me. I'm no good. And I'm stuck here. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a feeling of, being so defeated with no hope. And so that's a big distinction between guilt and shame is at least with guilt, you can, you can do something about that. You can fix the thing that you have, um, you know, where you may have screwed up. And with shame, there's this, this sense of uh, feeling hopeless about it all. And, and how, since it's tied so closely to who I am, how, how crucial it is to be constantly, consistently uh, reminding ourselves or being reminded by others who love us, who we Mm -hmm. truly are in Christ, and certainly allowing scripture to define for us who we are and resting in that and not in the voice of the lie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um, preaching the gospel to ourselves uh, daily is needed. Uh, I just was um, reminded of uh, just the idea of being justified by faith apart from our performance, apart from our works. 
my standing with God is settled by Jesus and it has nothing to do with my deeds, but his. And, um, it's easy to forget that it's easy to begin to think, um, that my worth is tied to my performance. One of the, one of the books, uh, I was given as a graduate uh, from college. Um, uh, one of the gifts was a book called the search for significance by Robert S. McGee. And in that book, he talks about um, the performance trap, which is the lie that I only have value based on my performance or what I contribute, or um, the approval addict lie, which is my value is determined based on what other people think about me. And those uh, two lies were, for whatever reason, I kind of grew up believing those things. And... um, and so it's, it's a lifelong struggle to remember that, though, that that is not true. Uh, and instead, uh, I am deeply loved. I mentioned early on uh, in the podcast that I became a grandpa. And so I was uh, holding my grandson, Brooks, the other day, who has done uh, nothing in this life, right? There's no performing <laughs> that he has done, no value he has added to the human race race outside of his beauty um but you know and as i held him and loved him i had to remind myself if you know if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more how Mm. much more will your heavenly father give what is good to those who ask them you know so if i feel this way about brooks uh just because brooks is well, praise the Lord that that is how the Father feels about me. And I need to remember that. I think that that idea of just connecting with, I think Chuck DeGroat calls it, our belovedness. Um, mm. You know, the idea that, that we are in Christ, and in Christ we are in the beloved, uh, that the one whom God loves uh, above all, we are loved right there with him um, in Christ. Mm. And, and that, that is sometimes hard for us to believe about ourselves. Mm. Um, so h- how, do, how do we do that? Uh, if we're in shame, we're already doubting our belovedness. Uh, mm. h- how do we, we flipped, flip that script in our minds? Yeah, I think um, for, for me, it's been a variety uh, of things. Um, one would be, thinking through stories like the parable of the prodigal son. Part of, part of the reason why we uh, at Mercy Road talk about leading people back into the arms of God is we really feel like at our church, if, the, if we have just one chance to paint a picture of what God is like to a person, we want them to see a father running down the road to welcome home his lost uh, and rebellious son and um, and that embrace and know that that embrace is for me as well just as it was for the prodigal uh, I need to picture myself being run to (laughs) and being embraced Um, I love it that um, someone pointed out that the prodigal has come home out of mere survival, you know, 
he's he's coming home just to have something to eat and um but the fact that he has come home that is enough for the mm-hmm. father to just run to him and run to him and embrace him and and so i think just remembering that the gospel isn't just true for those people that we preach it to but it is true for us um Paul said um, in Romans 1, I think it's verse 15, that he is eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. These are already believers, right? Mm -hmm. He's writing to the church, but he's eager to preach the gospel to them because believers need the gospel just as much as unbelievers need the gospel. Mm -hmm. We need Mm -hmm. it on a daily basis. And so, um, and he is that, not ashamed of the gospel. <laughs> ah, yeah. Amen. Amen. Doesn't keep it hidden. Yeah. Amen. There's, there's so many different ways pastors experience shame. Uh, and we've already hit on this just a little bit, but I want to just kind of review some of the keys to working our ways out of shame. Um, mm-hmm. so you mentioned, first of all, uh, finding somebody who's safe, trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you need to, uh, a good book on that, uh, look up uh, John Trent's book, People Fuel. He's got a list of 22 characteristics that you should look for in people who are safe. Um, mm. so, so it starts there. And then you said to share your story, uh, to, to just open up about where you're at. Um, yeah. You also mentioned to read some books, and we've talked about Thompson's Soul of Shame. Kurt Thompson's book is excellent. Brene Brown has some good books. Um, yeah. And there's others. Uh, uh, what else can we do beyond those three things uh, to start working our way out of shame? It's a great question. I think for me, um, the idea of counseling and other spiritual formation retreats have been, has been helpful. Um, one of the things that I'm going to do to try to draw near to Jesus and to experience afresh his grace is I'm going to go on uh, a silent Ignatian retreat coming up uh, this fall uh, where I can um, really just, it was just going to be me and Jesus um, because I need to be um, at his feet. And sometimes I struggle um, with getting there on a regular basis. Um, I'm not great at habits. Mm. And um, so I have to work hard at that. And sometimes it is, um, you know, a three-day retreat that is going to uh, help me with that structure and just making those types of choices. Um, One of the things that I do want to touch on though, Sean, is the variety of ways in which shame can attack pastors. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a little bit of thinking about the, it's, it's not just about church success. Your finances can be a, a cause of shame. Um, you know, we were taught all along about, um, you know, not being in debt. And, uh, and yet we know that pastors aren't always compensated in such a way that allows them to not be in debt. You know, <laughs> life happens, whether there's, whether that's medical or roofs that need to get fixed or whatever. And so sometimes um, we don't have that Dave Ramsey emergency savings that, uh, that has been touted so often. And so um, our financial lives can sometimes be a cause of shame. Um, if we feel like we haven't been productive enough in a given day, and we feel that our time management is, is mm. not 
super, that can be a cause of shame for pastors. I uh, feel like, did I really earn my paycheck today? But the problem is, is that shame is so draining that sometimes you just have enough energy to get done the bare minimum. So then there's the cycle of feeling shame about how you spent your day. Um, pastors can um, struggle with shame in regards to body image. If they feel I'm, I'm overweight, I'm not being a good, a good example in this way of, of discipline and, and self-care for the body. And so um, shame can attack a pastor in any in every way. And so in some ways, um, I think the big three that we talked about in shame resilience um, are, are the keys. You know, I think vulnerability, um, remembering the gospel uh, are, are two of the huge, huge uh, pieces to coming clean about the variety of ways in which um, we might feel shame. And so I think just allowing ourselves to be known and loved is the big key when it comes to shame. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, this is this is such rich conversation and uh, so pertinent and important. Uh, I think uh, perhaps even in these days when uh, pastors, and ministry leaders are really finding themselves under the gun, a lot of expectations um, and the ground just seems to be shifting beneath their feet um, to to know how to to move forward. Uh, that uh, one of the fatalities, I guess, or one of the causalities in, in all that is uh, it, it produces shame and the potential for shame. So mm-hmm. just as we, we close out here, what, what words of hope would you like to offer to other pastors? You know, I, when I turned 50 this year, one of the gifts that I received, um, and a few good people at my church kind of spearheaded this, uh, I received almost kind of like a um, a thank you book that had a variety of stories from different people from my church. Um, and even folks that were, you know, like uh, no longer at our church, but, you know, in our lives in some capacity that told stories of what they appreciated about my ministry. And it's almost kind of like going to your funeral early and hearing positive <laughs> things being said about you. And really that was the idea about it. Uh, my, my good friend and associate pastor Josh said, you know, I know that words of affirmation are a big deal to you. And so I wanted you to hear these things now. And, and, uh, and so the encouragement I would give to pastors is this: you're making more of a difference than you realize. Mm-hmm. because I was shocked by some of the stories, things that I had long forgotten that were so big to some of the people that I had interacted with. Um, there was uh, one story that comes to mind was a woman who said, um, there was a time that I could not afford uh, my medication for kind of like it was for uh, depression. And um, she said, I, uh, my life was falling apart because I couldn't really buy my meds. And she said, you took money right out of your wallet and um, so that I could go and buy my medication. And she said, I've never forgotten that. No, I did forget that. I'd forgotten that I'd done that. And, it, and it, it wasn't that big of a deal to me at the time, you know, like it was money I could part with, but it was a big deal to this woman. And um and so it was reading those things and it brought a tear to my eye just to be, just to know that uh, I was making a difference. And so, you know, pastors, 
there's so many little things that you're probably that you have done and are doing that seem insignificant, but um, I think just like when Jesus said, you know, whoever's given a cup of cold water to a person in my name, you know, you will have great reward for that. And so I think there's that. So I just want to encourage you that the little things that you do are making a big difference. And uh, I want to just remind you that I know that you're a shepherd, but that you have a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And he wants you um, to hear his voice and to follow him. And he is the one who is leading us on right paths. He is making us lie down in green pastures and providing for us and protecting us. And he is with us. And so um, don't give up. Don't give up. And, um, you know, if you are in need of help, get the help that you need. Jesus will meet you there. That's so good. Mike, you, you, uh, you said your happy place is Wrigley Field. I'm right there with you. But your safe place is Robin and Larry's house. And I, I just pray that every pastor out there can find a, a safe place uh, like you have so that they have somebody to talk to. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on, on Hope Renewed. It's, it's good to see you again and uh, look forward to seeing how God's going to use you in the future. Yes, thanks so much, Mike. Thanks so much, fellas. Appreciate it. And as always, we invite you, our listeners, to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It is a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It's our prayer that your hope is renewed as you set your hope in Christ. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.